Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now, this offseason, the NFL has been cracking down and looking to get rid of arguably the biggest menace facing the game. Now, what am I talking about here? Am I talking about that stupid rule about fumbling out of the end zone? Am I talking about long replay reviews? Am I talking about the lack of guaranteed contracts? Am I talking about what's a catch and what's not? Am I talking about COVID protocols? No, I'm not talking about any of those things. Not as it relates to this. No, they're cracking down on taunting. Yep, that's your top priority, taunting. The thing that absolutely nobody was complaining about, they are coming hard for. The thing that nobody has a problem with, they think is the biggest problem of all. Yesterday, John Mara of the New York Giants addressed the issue. The uh, taunting emphasis, what were the conversations about that among you guys? Yeah, I mean, that's something we discuss every year in the competition committee. We, we get kind of sick and tired of the, of the taunting that does go on from time to time on the field. We've tried to balance um, the sportsmanship with allowing the players to have fun and there's always a fine line there but none of us like to see that and uh, it's just a question of whether you can have rules that can be enforced and without taking the fun out of the game too but nobody wants to see a player taunting another player i know i serve and i think the rest of the members of the competition committee feel the same way too he just said quote nobody wants to see a player taunting another player end quote if i could run an NFL president and a CEO during a press conference, I would. But nobody wants to see a player taunting another player. I know. Well done, Alvin. In fact, you know what? I think I can. I think I just did. You know why? I don't like that call. That's not a very good call. With respect, sir. And I know you are NFL royalty. And genuinely, I mean that. The Giants are one of the Tiffany organizations, not just in the NFL, but in all of pro sports. However, the hell are you talking about? Nobody wants to see a player taunt another player. You could not be more wrong, nor is there a worse take or a bigger lie. We don't want taunting. Let me tell you something. We don't want less taunting. Are you kidding me about that bullcrap? Man, get out of here with that. Speaking on behalf of the entire world, we hate less taunting. Do you understand what I just said? Let me repeat that with emphasis. Speaking for the rest of the entire planet, we hate less taunting. Hate is a strong word. I do not like to use it. We hate Less taunting. Taunting is as American as apple pie. Not only do fans like taunting, I'm guessing your own fans, Giants fans, would be partying in the streets and would give anything to have a team good enough where they could taunt somebody else. I'm betting the only complaints from Giants fans is that their guys do not taunt enough because they don't get a chance to taunt often enough. I mean, John, what's next? Uh, Everybody uh, wants less passing. We want less scoring. We want less gambling. We want less sex. I mean, again, nothing but respect for this guy and his family. But I could not disagree any more than I do. Man, taunting is great. Taunting is the absolute best. However, in John Mara's NFL, it is the absolute worst. And it needs to be eliminated immediately. So, exactly what is this about? the hell is going on here what's bringing about this crackdown on the thing that nobody wants a crackdown on where is it coming from it must be really bad right there must be something really horrible going on that we don't know about something so terrible you just got to stamp it out of the game forever right according to the great charles robinson this is primarily about one dude One dude and one move in particular. That dude, Tyreek Hill. That move, the backflip. 
Now, I know that Hill has got a habit of throwing up deuces when he runs away from secondaries, and no idiots. I don't need to hear from Najee Davenport on that issue. But the thing that really gets people on the league's competition committee fired up apparently is this backflip. Robinson reported on communication he had with a couple of sources familiar with the conversations between members of the competition committee. Quote, both pinned a large part of the renewed push to tamp down taunting on Hill, who had made a habit of throwing up deuces at defenses as he coasted away for touchdowns. That, along with a few backflips into the end zone last season, helped fuel momentum for the new taunting emphasis. You know, again, I'm sorry, but what? Since when is a guy doing a backflip a problem? Not only is it not a problem, it's actually awesome. Every time this guy does it, it runs on every highlight show, everywhere. It's all over social media. People love it. The only problem with the backflip is that more guys can't do it. The next time somebody changes the channel because of a backflip will be the first. So what? All of this is over one guy doing one thing? The one thing that's actually awesome? That makes even less sense than it did before, and it made zero sense before. This somehow makes negative sense. But as one source told Robinson, it is the worst thing ever. Quote, the backflips. When you're watching that and the gesturing, it's not a part of a touchdown celebration. It's obviously taunting. It's purposely being disrespectful. And you saw it in the Super Bowl where it came back. A guy retaliates because he saw that it was being disrespectful and then now it's getting him back. End of quote. You remember what they're talking about, right? That's a reference to Antoine Winfield Jr. giving Hill the deuces in the Super Bowl. Right, because that was so horrible. Yeah, right, because once you see something that horrific, you can never unsee it. Man, the competition committee has got this so jacked up. It is so twisted. Hey, let me help you old, rich dudes out, all right? If Tyreek Hill beats you deep, he gets to do a backflip. If you pick off a pass intended for him, you get to do a backflip. We all win. And you do too, because not only is it not ruining your game, it's making it so much better. They should be flagging guys for not doing backflips, just like they should be flagging guys for not taunting. I want 15 yards for a lack of taunting, and I want it now. I want to throw a flag on the league for wanting to throw flags for taunting. And then I want to do a backflip on the league. I mean, seriously, they make it sound like taunting is the worst thing ever. It's not. Taunting is not the worst thing ever. But trying to get it out of the game is. Taunting is good. Taunting is wonderful. Taunting makes the game better. The day guys aren't allowed to show up other guys is the day you lose this guy forever. In other words, the day guys are not allowed to show up other guys is the day that I don't show up at all. Competition committee or sensitivity committee? In the Super Bowl, man, you weren't out of your chair when Brady torched the honey badger and got in his face immediately thereafter. Come on. I'm like, hey, John. Hey, John. Hey, John. Should I bring back the garden as well? Is it time to bring back Nice radio. Nice radio. Reminds me of the uh, great, great blue liner, Larry Robinson. We got a few backflips. We got a few whining little babies in this league that don't want. I can't get my deuces. I can't get my deuces. Welcome to the National Football League. Welcome to the friggin' National Hockey League. We got a few. Backflips. I can't get my deuces. I can't get my deuces. Welcome to the freaking National Football League. Let me tell you something. Let's not get this twisted and make this into something it's not. I'll tell you what it's not. It's not throwing up deuces. Throwing up deuces is you back into the end zone after you have torched an overmatched defender. It's not like Jorge Masvidal talking bleep, 
to a near-dead Ben Askren three seconds into a fight. All right, can we figure out the difference here? Get a clue. But nobody wants to see a player taunting another player. I- Pretty much we do. Pretty much that's exactly what we want to see. I don't like that Not a very good Competition committee. Sensitivity committee. So the unknown came in 2020, right? It changed the workplace forever. And while some of us are getting back to the office, some of us do find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed. And so has the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now X-Chair's newest innovation, LMAX Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your low back. It is amazing. X-Chair LMAX delivers cooling heat and massage technology directly to your core, regulating body temp, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. All perks that make working from home or the office awesome. Here's what you do. Go to xchairroam.com right now. That's the letter X, chairroam.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairroam.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. That's xchairroam.com. My guest is Mac Brown. Now, Mac, I will be honest, I do not play favorites, but anytime you're on the show, it's a conversation I always look forward to. How you doing today, Mac, and how is life for you right about now? Jim, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm having fun being back and in coaching. I'm, I'm healthy. Uh, a lot of positive things going on around our program. We, we know we're, we're in the, the top 10 in preseason, but we also understand that, number one, preseason doesn't mean anything except you got a lot of pride in them. A lot of great things going in your program, and we also know that those uh, Alabamas and Georgias and Clemsons and Ohio States, Notre Dames, are they, they've already bought a house in that top five neighborhood, and we're just renting right now, so we need to we need to get it so we can buy a house in that neighborhood and be there for good. You bet, Mac Brown, joining us, Mac. You touched on something that I was actually going to ask you about when you said we're having fun. One of the things that really does strike me since you returned to North Carolina is you seem to be having more fun than ever before. Does it feel that way to you? And if so, why is that? Jim, it, it absolutely feels that way. And I, I look back at my time here, I look back at my time at Texas, and we, we won a lot of games. We got a lot of things accomplished. But I never thought in looking back I enjoyed it enough. This is a game. It's a game that's loved by, by so many. It's, it's a, a game that's a true part of my life, but you're not successful, in my estimation, unless you're having fun. And when I, I was out for five years at, at TV looking at it, I saw so many miserable coaches, just so afraid of losing their jobs, trying to get a better job, um, worried, worried about losing the game, all the problems that a coach has because you deal with so many different uh, factors every day. And, and, and you d- deal with diversity with people across your campus, your state, your program. And um, if you're not careful, you can let it eat you up. And, and one of the things I promised my wife, Sally, in, in coming back is that I was going to enjoy every day. I was going to enjoy these young people. I, I was going to do what coaches are supposed to do, and that's mentor young people and young coaches like older coaches had for me. And I was going to enjoy it. Now, I did lie to her, Jim, because I said I was going to take losing better. It's hard to take losing better. Losing right. losing. It still stinks. So uh, I, I am doing better. I'm trying to learn from losing when we lose, but I still don't like it. We're talking to Mac Brown. Mac, you've also seemed to have figured something out that I've been working on myself, and I want to ask you about this. I think it's fascinating. You said, quote, in a weird way, I'm a better coach right now than I've ever been before. And Mac, I've been having this conversation. In fact, I started another podcast, which I do off to the side, and I'm trying to figure out, Mac, whether or not it really is realistic for somebody like me or you to have our best work in front of us, our best years in front of us and not behind us. If, in fact, you're a better coach right now than you've ever been, how is that the case? Jim, I think it's the case because I've, I've, uh, I'm not sensitive anymore. 
I don't have that little chip on my shoulder anytime anybody asks me about something. What I can actually do now is listen and see if it makes sense and see if it will help us more. And what I've learned is if uh, you, you've been doing radio at a very high level in TV for a long time. And, and what I've learned is that experience is, is something that young people can't get till they get older. They've got to go where you've been and I've been. So the question is, at our age, if you have experience, it's just the energy. It's just the passion. So if you can take an experienced person that's still healthy, that has passion, that has energy, that, that uh, has a purpose every morning when they get up, it just makes you so much better. So all the mistakes I made here before, all the mistakes I made at Tulane, Appalachian, and, and Texas, I can go back when I had a time to reflect and, and see all those things that I did that I would have done differently, um, be honest about it, be very, very critical of a self-evaluation, and then go back and change them and, and um, learn to listen better. And, and I think all those things are happening, Jim, with uh, um, all of the stuff with the social justice last year. As long as I've been coaching and as long as I've been around coaches of color and kids of color, I didn't hear everything because I, our, our little bubble was perfect around our offices. What I didn't hear is the kids and the coaches were treated differently in some cases when they left the bubble. And, and I didn't hear that, and I heard it last year. So uh, one of the, the new slogans I've, I've really put into play for myself is listen and learn. Listen to people who are different from you. Um, be able to, to talk about differences. You don't have to – you can disagree with someone but because they're different, but you don't have to be mad about it. That's their opinion. Let them have their opinion. Listen and learn from it, and then move forward. And, and uh, all of those things have made me a better coach. I like all of those things. Mac Brown joining us. You know, Mac, when you started that response, you did say, what I did do was lose that little chip on my shoulder. You know, for a long time, I've always believed, and a part of me still does, Mac, that that chip on the shoulder is our fuel. That's part of what drives us. Why did things get better when you lost it? The, the, to me, there's a difference in a chip on the shoulder and an edge. Hmm. I have created a better edge for myself, and, and it, it doesn't include anger. But yes, I get up every morning with things to prove. I get up every morning wanting to win a nas another national championship. Um, so that the edge is still there, and you have to create an edge every day, in my estimation, in your life, for every day of practice, for every game, for every meeting that you have, every show that you have, you sit, you get ready to go. I've seen you. And, and you have that edge um, for your listeners, and, and that's one of your purposes. You want to get information to your listeners or have them call in so you can have answers for them. Um, but you can't do that if you're flat. You can't do that if you're not ready to go. So what I did is I took what I called a chip and turned it into an edge. And, and, and to me, that's much more productive than, than getting up every morning mad at somebody. I get up every morning getting ready to go and seeing what I can do better today than I did yesterday. My man, Mac Brown, joining us. I like that distinction, and I get that. Now, it feels like you and I have been talking about Sam Howell for years, but he's only a junior. He had 76 TDs in his first two years as a quarterback. He's a preseason All-American. Mac, you have coached some truly great quarterbacks in your career. Where does Howell rank with the best of them? Jim, he, he is up in the top. We, we, we've talked all we need to do now is win a championship. He's done everything else. He's accurate. He's tough. He's smart. Uh, he's driven. He, uh, he, he comes to practice with that edge every day. He goes into a meeting every day with his edge. He's over in this building more than, more than I am because he's such a perfectionist. And what we've got to do now as a team is help him. We said Ricky Williams couldn't win the Heisman at, at Texas unless the team was good enough. So we made it a team award. And, and the team award ended up rallying around Ricky enough. We won nine games, so it, it allowed him to win the Heisman. And, and that's what we've talked about with our team for Sam. Sam is a great quarterback. Jim, you go back to last year, and maybe the, the four best quarterbacks in the country were the, in college football were the four in the playoffs. And then you go to the NFL, and you look at the, what happened at the end of the playoffs. 
the best quarterbacks were, were leading their teams, and maybe the best quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, ends up winning the Super Bowl. So that's what we've told our team, and that's what we've told Sam. Modern-day football is driven by quarterbacks and offense. Defense, a stop for a defense may be a field goal. It, it's a turnover. It's not like shutouts anymore. You don't have 10 to 6. Those days died. So you've got to be good on offense, and therefore the guy that touches the ball every time, the quarterback, better be really special if you're going to have a chance to win all the games. And Sam Howell gives us that chance. Mac Brown, my guest. Mac, I've got about 90 seconds. If you don't mind, I want to ask you, college football lost Bobby Bowden recently. You coached against him over the years. What was Bobby like, and what kind of memories do you have of him? Jim, Bobby was so nice. He, he, he could beat you by 100 and smile and hug your neck and say, dadgummit, you'll get better. Just keep your, keep your head up. Hang in there. But he was, uh, he, he was what I'm trying to, to be for younger coaches. I would pick up the phone and say, Coach Bowden, I got, I got a problem. I got this. He'd call me right back. And he would sit there for an hour and, and try to, to give me his experiences that, that might help me. He, uh, we played once here, Jim, in my last year at North Carolina. and We were four and they were one. And uh, he had a stool because his back was hurting. And I said before the game, Coach, my, my goal is going to be to get you off that stool. Man, I, I want you to have to get up and walk around and be nervous. He said, Coach, it's going to be a good game, but you ain't getting me off this stool. My back's hurt. I'm going to be on this stool the whole game. So at the end of the game, he walked over, and I said, didn't get you off the stool, did it? And he said, no, sir, but you played a heck of a game. Hmm. He was something else. Mac Brown, the head football coach at the University of North Carolina. Mac, you are too. It is so great to get caught up. I always look forward to our conversations. I have great respect, admiration, and appreciation for you, Mac. I appreciate the friendship and the relationship. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. Same here. Anytime you need me on, you got me, my friend. You, uh, uh, you are a gift to sports fans across this world, and I appreciate you very much. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. All right, so Vegas. I haven't been in a while. I got to ask you, though, since I've not been in a while, how's it going with the entire Raider thing? From the outside, it seems like it's not the best thing ever. Now, I don't necessarily mean football, although that has not exactly been the best thing ever. I'm talking about something else that, according to rumors, and I touched on this already, The speculation is, since the Raiders and their players and their staff have arrived in Sin City, they have committed the biggest sin of all, apparently. One of the biggest no-nos ever that you can commit anywhere, but especially on the Strip. Don't get me wrong. It's totally classless. It's off-putting. It's weird, no matter where you are, but especially in Vegas. It's a cardinal sin in Vegas. I'm talking about tipping, bad tipping, horrible tipping. And the Raiders reportedly, reportedly, are building a rep for just that around town. And per usual, that is the last thing that they or anybody else wants to be known for or should want to be known for especially people of means. This started about a year ago with the accusation against rookie wide receiver Henry Ruggs. Allegedly, allegedly, he left a $10 tip on a $600 tab. Allegedly. I don't know what the hell went down there. I don't know what happened there. I don't know what kind of service he got. I don't know what happened. I'm just looking at the math. If you leave a $10 tip on a $600 tab, That's less than 2%. Not good. In fact, below not good. Unless it was the worst service ever. Or somebody urinated in your food. Below not good. You simply cannot do that. 
So he gets called out on Twitter for that. Because, again, if you do something like that, the offended party is going to have a receipt and a phone, and they're going right to social with it. Another reason why you should never do it. Never do it because it's all wrong. But at least in the interest of self-preservation and some intellect, don't do it. That receipt, you won't be one foot out the door before that receipt is posted online if you do something like that. So he gets called out for Twitter, and he had kind of a unique way of denying it. Unique in the sense that he really did not deny it at all. What he did was ask, when did I do this? Over and over again. Not, I didn't do this, but rather, when? When? When did I do this? When did I do this is very different than, I did not do that. All right? I mean, a couple of the words are the same, but the meaning is pretty different. Still, randos on Twitter are not exactly the most honest source of information, right? Maybe they got the wrong guy. This is why I'm saying allegedly, reportedly, Maybe they got the wrong guy. Maybe it was all a big misunderstanding. But as the saying goes, where there is smoke, there is fire. And they have found a fire, a red-hot, burning inferno. And wouldn't you know, that flame is burning over on Twitter once again. The towering inferno that is Twitter. Because earlier this week, Sin City Lifestyle website Vital Vegas dropped a nuclear bomb of a tweet. Check this as a tweet. Quote, reminder, bad behavior by Raiders players, coaches, and family members won't be tolerated in Las Vegas. Multiple reports of rudeness and poor or zero tipping. We will name names and flog asses if this horse bleepery continues. You play sports, you're not royalty. End of tweet. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. I, I cannot even tell you how much I love that tweet. What they're saying, in effect, is the hell you think you are. You're a pro athlete. You're a raider. You think you can come up in here as a celebrity and not have to tip us because we're so lucky to have you in our house? The hell is that? We're not having that. No, you're lucky to have us. We're not lucky to have you. That is an incredible tweet. That tweet has got so much lava and it's so scathing. I mean, I really can't even read all of it word for word on the air. Flog asses. They're threatening to flog asses. First of all, being the wordsmith that I am and having such an amazing vocabulary, but even a greater appreciation of words onto themselves, flog is a great word. I can appreciate an amazing word, and that right there is an amazing word. I mean, it's, it's a violent, despicable act in pretty much any context at all. Yet, when you use it to describe bad tippers, it's perfect. And not just will they get flogged, their asses will get flogged. And then how about the use of the word, they're not tolerating this, quote, horse blankery, this horse bleepery, this horse s bombery. We ain't playing. I mean, credit to Vital Vegas for one of the best tweets ever. And the message is clearly not just aimed at a single player this time either. They're calling out, and I quote, Raiders players, coaches, and family members. There's a lot of asses getting flogged. And apparently a lot of horse bleepery taking place. If they didn't have enough big, a big enough problem on the field, now they've got one on the strip too. So they're calling out everybody, and they've been taking names, and they just threatened to name names unless these dudes in silver and black shape the hell up. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm all for it, by the way. 
I feel very strongly about the service industry. You got a lot of people that don't even want to work. And then you've got a lot of people that do want to work, but their salaries are based largely on tips. The service industry, the base is not a high, is high because the employer will say, yeah, but you get tips. You get tips. Yeah, but not if you've got a bunch of horse bleepery taking place. And then you know what happens? Names get named, asses get flogged. And I'm here for it. Men name their asses. Well, name their names, flog their asses. Out these clowns. We don't mess with bad tippers around here. Not there and not here. And not here. Ask Matt Kuchar how that went. Ask Tiger how that went. Remember when Tiger trained to be a Navy SEAL? You know, just put aside for a minute how weird that was that Tiger wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Like, literally. Literally. And I'm, I'm as fascinated as anybody with Navy SEALs, but I never thought that I could be one. He did, apparently. He trains with them, and they share their expertise, their time, their energy, their ammunition, their product. And then when it came time to eat lunch with a half dozen of these guys, Tiger asked for separate checks. You're never going to live that down, and nor should you. You should not be allowed to ever forget that. That's why no tipping Scotty Pippen still catches heat. That's why penny-pinching Pete Sampras still catches heat. <laughs> Say something. Say well, it. I, I, I'm wait, I'm wait, I want to impersonate you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't have any money. I, I just, I, I, oh, about my tipping? Okay. No, no, wait, I got a dollar. That's how you oh, want to play, huh? It's all fun and games so somebody gets hurt, huh? All right. Yeah, all right, eh, Pete? All right. You probably don't want to mess with Andre Agassi. Andre, I'm sure, looks back on that and says, yeah, Jim, I wish you wouldn't play that. I feel you, Andre, but it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Could that have gone any worse for Pete? And again, what? it's not like you can say, you know what, man, I just, I don't have any money. I, I'm below the poverty line. No, you're super rich. Man, chip somebody off. You get caught stiffing around here. That's a one-way ticket to jungle infamy. But, that's here. But, you do it in Vegas... That's a whole different level. And to be a permanent resident, check that, a prominent public-facing permanent resident. And to pull that is one of the lamest, most classless, and frankly ignorant things you could do. Again, Vegas is pretty much the service industry capital of the world. It's also not that big of a town. Literally Everybody talks. Everybody. Word gets around, evidently. And if you think about that for a second, it's not even remotely surprising. I mean, look, I want to be very clear. I'm not accusing any of the following dudes of being bad tippers. I've got no inside info here other than that unbelievable, vital Vegas tweet. But would it surprise anybody at all to find out that Mark Davis is a bad tipper? I mean, in fact, it might even explain his haircut, right? Call that style the revenge of the stiffed barber because you do tip your barber. Yeah, I don't know if you know that. Vegas owner, Vegas player, you got to tip out your barber. This is a big I mean, it's, effing deal. It's your look. Honestly, that's the best explanation that I've been able to come up with for that guy's extremely regrettable lettuce. He must not tip his barber. How else can you explain it? So Vegas Raiders, shape the hell up. Shape the hell up. I mean, go ahead. Stay completely mediocre on the field. But when you're out on the town, you start at 20%. You got me? Not 15, not 18, not 17 and a half, not 12 and a half. And sure as hell, not two. You start at 20. And if you just want to say, what am I supposed to do? Buy goodwill? Yes. That's exactly what you do. It's insurance, man. 
It's insurance that they don't badmouth you and I don't badmouth you. You tip your 20% or more. You leave a little note on the bill thanking your server because Vital Vegas is ready to name names and flog asses. And you do not want to go the way of miserly Matt or penny-pinching Pete or no tipping Pippin. Believe me, it's not a rep anybody wants to have because it's not a rep that anybody could ever shake, and especially in that town. You're welcome. I can't believe I still have to do that. I cannot believe I still have to do that. And I'm here to tell you that will not be the last time I have to do that. I know that too. I would rather you say almost anything at all about me than that I'm cheap and I'm a bad tipper. And nobody can. I mean, I can't tell you. that You can come in here and say, hey, Rome, man, your show sucks. Your takes suck. Your interviews suck. Man, you're the worst, dude. I can't stand you, man. You're a bag. All right. You're entitled to your opinion. But if you come up in here and you say to me, hey, Rome, you're a bad tipper, dude. You're a cheapskate. I'm going to call bull crap on that all day long. And so will anybody and everybody who has ever, ever waited on me because I've made that a point in my life. That is a core principle. I will always, unless somebody, it's only happened a couple of places. It happened once at this restaurant called The Quiet Woman in Corona Del Mar. It's like the worst place ever, by the way. Worst waitress ever. Like, she wanted to go. She wanted to give me the hands, and all I did was mind my own business. Do you have any idea? Like, I literally start, I'm not even kidding you, I start everybody like at 40. Not even 20, but 40. Do you have any idea how bad you have to be at your job not to get 40 or 30 from me? Why? Because I'm paranoid of somebody calling me a cheapskate and a bad tipper. I would so much rather be called a bad guy and a bad host than a bad tipper. Anything but that. And I don't know why everybody doesn't feel that way, especially super ultra wealthy athletes. It's just not worth it, man. Is it really? It can happen so easily. You're out with a few friends or coworkers. You're putting back a few drinks. A few then becomes a few too many. It's time to go. And then for a moment, you think of calling a ride. It's time to go. And for a moment, you think of calling for a ride and then think, nah, you're a good driver. You live nearby. You can make it home fine. What are the odds you'll get pulled over? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Play it safe, plan ahead, and get a ride. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Will Brinson, good to have you back. Will, what's up? Jim, what's going on, man? Uh, Great to talk to you. Excited to have uh, football. Football, Always good to have you, Will. Things are great here. Let me jump right into this. We're only one week into the exhibition games, Will, but... Let me start you off the 49ers situation. How does Trey Lance look to you so far? And what do you make of that 49ers quarterback situation overall? So I think I'm going to be the sucker that keeps believing Kyle Shanahan when he when he says things. You know, even though we all everybody fell for the Mac Jones smoke screen, I guess I didn't. But you get the point. Um, the 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 I I think he's going to use both of these guys. I really do. I, I don't think he wants. His, the, he wants to keep Jimmy G and Trey Lance around, in my opinion, because he feels like the, the reason the 49ers have not advanced to the postseason more frequently in his, in, in, lately in his regime is that he didn't have a healthy quarterback for a full season. I think he believes if he has two of those guys, and that's why he didn't want to trade Jimmy, he believes that you know, that'll work itself out over the course of 2021. I also think that he's going to – maybe it'll be 90-10, maybe it'll be like 93-7 in terms of split, but I think he's going to use Trey Lance in a lot of packages, and I think he's going to have him out there you know, using his legs to create uh, mismatches that, that cause havoc for defensive coordinators, and eventually – 
if Jimmy G doesn't win games or doesn't play well, Trey Lance will probably become the starter. But I think they're going to try and make it like a 2017 Alex Smith, Pat Mahomes situation if they can. Mm, Will Brinson joining us. All right, Will, so you never want to overreact to a single exhibition game, but what do you make of what you saw from Justin Fields in week one? And then how big is the news that he's currently dealing with a groin issue? I mean, the the groin injury is obviously not a good thing, but I don't think it really matters, Jim. I really believe that they, the Bears, were not going to let Justin Fields leapfrog Andy Dalton on the depth chart. I I know it sounds insane, but if you listen to that comment that Andy Dalton, I don't know if you heard it, but he he just said it a few minutes ago on some Bears Facebook Live thing. He said Justin Fields is going to have a great career, but it's my team right now, and i got to focus on being the quarterback of the Bears. It's not as cocky as Twitter's making it out to be, but I think it, it really hits home that, that Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace have told Andy Dalton, you are our starting quarterback. And I, in my opinion, it's going to end up looking pretty similar to what happened with Mike Glennon and, and Mitchell Trubisky a few years back when they did this. It also was playing out identical. They signed the veteran, then they surprised draft the, the kid in, the, in, you know, in, in April or May, and then they guarantee the veteran's going to start. The team doesn't win football games, and so they you know, yank the ripcord, break glass in case of emergency, try to save our jobs, and bring in the rookie midway through the season. So I firmly believe Andy Dalton is going to get a couple of games to start the season, and if they're winning those games and they got some good matchups, then he could continue to start for a while. Will Brinson joining us. I'm jumping around the league. Will, we're talking quarterbacks. Let me ask you about Tua. How did Tua look to you in that Dolphins-Bears game? Yeah, I, thought, I think Tua's looked a lot sharper, uh, really, in the offseason as a whole. And not that he had you know like a massive game or anything like that, but um, the, the addition to Jalen Waddle, I think, is huge. He's such a playmaker in space. And that'll sort of allow Tua uh, maybe a – not necessarily a checkdown option, but somebody that they can manipulate in terms of getting him open underneath and letting him take off. He can also clearly take the top off of defenses. And the, the real focus for Tua this offseason, you can, you can hear it in, in what he's saying, what his coaches are saying, um, and, and really how they're approaching practice and, and these game scripts. They want to, Tua to focus on the deep ball. He did not take deep shots last year. I think there's a chance that maybe – you know, the, the inability to, to, to max out in terms of his torque because of that hip injury caused him to be a little hesitant or caused him to minimize the number of shots he wanted to take down the field. That's going to be a point of emphasis for them in 2021. They want to take deep shots, and if Tua is going to, you know, develop into that franchise quarterback for them, he's going to have to, you know, have that deep ball accuracy that we saw at Alabama. He's going to have to push it down the field. Will Brinson joining us. Now, Will, you touched on this on your podcast. The Browns are absolutely loaded in key spots, but you admit you're still stuck in that old way of thinking about the Browns, that they're the Browns and they'll always be the Browns. Break it down for me. What do you like and what is stopping you from jumping on this bandwagon? (laughs) <laughs> the fact that they're the Browns, and I'm, I'm a, I, I'm a, you know, look, I'm an NC State fan, Jim. I understand how the, I understand how history works, and uh, and you got to, you know, you got to bust through uh, some smaller barriers before you can really take that big leap and, and make a Super Bowl run. It, it just feels like everyone is just conceding the Browns a playoff spot, which is is crazy to me, and I, I get it. I mean, they they are. You look at their roster and. You, you, know, you see that they have this fantastic offensive line, maybe the best in the league. They have two running backs who can tote the rock for them. You know, if one's injured, Kareem Hunt can step in for Nick Chubb and vice versa. Uh, I think Odell Beckham is due for a bounce back at some point. I'm a big Baker Mayfield guy. And then defensively, they really shored up things and, and added more help in the secondary, brought in Clowney, um, beefed up the defensive line. There's a lot to like with this team. It just feels crazy to me that we're going to give the Browns a playoff spot um, as if they have suddenly arrived on the scene uh, in the AFC as just a perennial contender. So I'm a little hesitant, and, and I think from a Vegas perspective too, 16-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl? No thanks. I mean, that's, that's, just, a, that's just not a good number. Uh, I would prefer the Ravens to win the division, and while I do think the Browns will hit the over on their win total, the number is just too high for me to take it. You know, I'm not even sure I agree with even one thing you just said about America's team, but I still love you, brother, nonetheless. I love these guys and all that stuff. But, I mean, you're right. They've got that two-headed monster in the backfield. I'm a huge Baker guy. I love the offensive line. They've shored up the defensive line. Man, they're going to show up and they're going to get it done. But you and I will continue to talk about that throughout the year. What about, Will, Mac Jones getting a standing ovation when he entered the game for the first time as a Patriot? And what did you make of the way he showed up? I thought Mac looked really – I think Bill Belichick – 
was probably a little he had not like he was scared to draft Mac Jones, but I think he was sitting there at their draft slot, like, all right, you know, we're not gonna have any of these none of these quarterbacks are gonna fall to us. He's like, Oh no. He's like, now I gotta take Mac. And I think he was a little like a little hesitant about it. And now I I firmly believe that Belichick believes uh, Mac is as far along as he would ho- as he as he hoped he could be, and that he's you know he's just you know composed. Um, I don't know what kind of game manager, but you feel like you f- he's steady and composed, and he made some big throws, stepping in and muddle pockets. Um, you know, willing to to take some shots down the field, and I I don't I I think this will be a little bit like the Bears and the Forty ers I expect Cam Newton to be the Week One starter. It's not only because. You know, you just have an advantage as the veteran in terms of the reps. And um, I, I think Belichick and Kyle Shanahan and, and Matt Nagy would prefer to start the veteran. And then if things go south, you bench the veteran for the rookie rather than starting the first round rookie. Things go south and you have to bench him and really open yourself up to a lot of questions about whether or not it was a good draft pick. All right. So, Will, really quickly, a few weeks into the Dallas Cowboys appearance on Hard Knocks, what do you make of what you've seen from them? I'm hard out on the Cowboys based solely on the fact that Mike McCarthy is using an Austin Powers reference to motivate his team with Mojo Monday. I mean, what, what are we doing here? It is 2021. You are a grown adult man, and you are making, uh, on, on, a, on a TV show that you know is going to be watched by millions and millions of people, you're making a Mojo Monday practice thing? I mean, that is, I, I love Dak. I, you know, the, the injury is concerning for sure. That's another reason to be out on the Cowboys. I love CeeDee Lamb, one of my favorite players in the NFL. I, there's a ton on that offense to like. They're going to score a bunch of points, but I'm out. Hard out of the Cowboys, strictly because of Mojo Monday. Listen, I could not agree with you more about that Austin Powers reference. And I'm going to say I agree with you when you say a hard out on the Cowboys. But I'm going to say a hard out on the Cowboys on Mike McCarthy because he's Mike McCarthy. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to buy into this at all. I don't, not to get personal about it, and it's not personal, I do not see that guy leading anybody anywhere, much less that team, anywhere that matters. All right, one last thing, Will, and this is great. You're raising money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital by auctioning off the ability for somebody to have a Zoom call with you to break down fantasy football, NFL futures, and more. Lay it out for me. How does it work, and how much help are you going to provide? Uh, I appreciate it, Jim. Yeah, we're uh, so the, we're CBS Sports. We're doing the CBS Sports Telethon that we always do. Uh, I, I've last year I got choked. Or two years ago I got choked slammed by Eric Young. Um, they were going to put me through a table, but they decided to pass on that. And now that I'm getting, I'm getting a little break this year. I just have to do a Zoom call with somebody. You can go. It's uh, I tweeted it out. It's on my Twitter handle at Will Brinson. But uh, you can bid on a. Uh, 10 minutes, we'll do 20 minutes, I don't care, we do however long, so whoever wants, you can bid on a private Zoom call with me leading into the season, we'll crack some cold beers, we'll sit around, we'll talk football, we'll figure out what the best bets are, and uh, if you want to do your fantasy draft with me live, that's fine too, uh, all proceeds of course go to benefit St. Jude, so I'm more than happy to hop on a Zoom call with uh, whoever is interested in paying for my uh, for my time. Good job. I love that. He is a CBS Sports senior writer. He is a friend of the program, host of the Pick 6 podcast. He is Will Brinson. Great job, Will. Thanks so much. And I know you and I will chop it up again soon. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thanks, man. My man, Will Brinson. Marty. What's going on, Marty? How are you? Jim, Jim I'm doing good, and I, and I appreciate the opportunity to get on this vine. But I'm a longtime listener. First time I've really uh, had the need to call. Uh, figured it was a slow day when uh, we get Kathleen in Bugahaw, who has no internet, her S&M list of, of music. But, Jim, the real reason I called, uh, I'm suffering from this jungle Tourette's, and it seems that nobody knows what this is except it, it, my wife, and it's tearing up our marriage, Jim. It's getting out of hand. Uh, I started listening back uh, when you had Vince Neal on, and he was promoting uh, the book The Dirt, and uh, I finally found me a station that I could enhance my vocabulary and useless information, and I knew I was at the right spot. So it's been that long, Jim, and this, this Tourette's has got worse. Uh, Saturday, we were, we were preparing to, to go to our favorite restaurant for dinner. She calls me that morning and says the dogs are out of hand, the youngest one just out of control. Of course, it triggers, what do you want me to do, come over and shoot them. She puts a dress on that night to go to dinner. Does this dress make me look fat? Jim, we know what happened there. We go to the restaurant, our, our, our local hangout. 
the waiter says, do you want two baskets of rolls this time, Marty? And, of course, I say, that's two for me. So, Jim, I need a little help here. I need a doctor. Uh, we've covered everybody in Oklahoma. There's not a doctor in Oklahoma that knows what Tourette's is, a jungle Tourette's is. She's, she's migrated south, Jim. She's went down to Texas. Not a doctor. Not a doctor that's ever heard of jungle Tourette's. Now, after listening to Kathleen's call, Fortunately, she's not migrating up north. But, Jim, I need a little help. Uh, it's getting expensive. I didn't know if you could stroke me an old reader for a couple thousand to get by with these doctor appointments, Jim. But I need some help. I can't be the only one suffering from this. Uh, I'm on the ropes with my me- my marriage, Jim. The wrestling matches have been cut back. Jim, I need some help. Can you help a clone out? My man, Marty. All right. First of all, Marty, uh, rack him, Albie. Marty, rack him. I feel you. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And now you're in a bad spot because of jungle Tourette's. I've never heard it quite put like that, but it's an affliction that many, many suffer from. You are not alone, my friend. So take solace in the fact that you are not alone. You are not the only one dealing with this. I would suggest to you, as a starting point, If you are now hardwired for this because you have listened to the show for so many years and these are now snap reactions that you're hardwired for, right? You're conditioned for. You don't think about it. It just comes out. And this is driving a wedge between you and your significant other. You said it yourself. She's cut back on the wrestling matches already. So now this is personal. This is deep. Now... She's withholding wrestling. There is no easy solution. There is no easy fix. And frankly, there is no cure. It's much like herpes. And what you don't want is for it to just kind of flash at the worst possible time, right? What I'm saying to you is this. I would start here. You can deal with this. You can address this. You can work on this. The next time your jungle Tourette's quote unquote kicks in and she pushes back and she tries to check you and it creates friction, you hit her with the baddest, hardest manual buzzer that there is. And then chase that with another famous line taken from a famous movie and hit her with, consider that a divorce. And then break out Kathleen in Omaha's digits and show them to her. I hope that's helpful, Marty. Godspeed. And then you look at her and you say, Now I'm done. Now I'm done. And you turn around and you walk away. And then you look back once more and say, shut it down. Let's go home. We are joined by Mel Tucker. Mel, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well, Romy. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back, Mel. So talk to me. You're two and a half weeks away from the season opener at Northwestern. What is the mood and the energy and the vibe like around the facility and the program? Yeah, I'll tell you what, we're gaining ground. Uh, the culture has shifted, and we're cementing it right now. We feel really good about, you know, what we're doing. We got we have more guys that can help us. We're a more competitive roster, competition at every position. You know, guys are working hard to get better. We had a good practice today. I really like uh, the direction we're headed. Mel Tucker is joining us. I love that notion of the shift in the culture. Mel, for instance, how do you implement a shift in an entire culture, and what does that culture look and feel like right now? Yeah, it's really setting the standard. It's communi- communication and connection, making sure everyone understands what, what's expected, uh, a culture of accountability, sense of urgency, attention to detail, you know, teamwork, being unselfish. Uh, that's what we're all about here, and that's what that's what uh, Michigan State football has always been about. That's what our fans deserve, a type of a brand of football that everyone can be proud of. And so uh, it's, an every, it's an everyday process, 
Um, but I really, I really feel like our guys are bought in, um, and it's just very exciting time for us right now. We're talking to Mel Tucker. What I'm hearing from you is there is a standard. The standard is the standard. We want to make sure that we communicate very clearly to everybody what the expectations are. And then I would take that a step further. One of the things you said recently is you want to have, quote, the most relentless, ruthless, and rigorous offseason conditioning program in the history of college football. And to quote, did you get that, Mel? And then what have the results been like? Yeah, we gained a lot of ground in this out-of-season program with uh, Jason Novak, our head strength and conditioning coach. His staff has done an outstanding job. And Amber Reinstein, our, our full-time dietitian for football, really transformed these guys, uh, their bodies, uh, and their minds. Uh, we've we've uh, we're bigger, faster, and stronger. Uh, your team is built in a weight room. The chemistry, the competitive nature, the strain that it takes to get better. You know, putting more weight on the bar, you know, to get stronger. That's the mentality that, that we that we have. Uh, really, we put these guys through the paces. They did not flinch. And now we have a better football team. I love all of that. Mel Tucker joining us. And I love that because, like, I'm curious, the thinking behind being relentless and ruthless and rigorous in conditioning, how much of that is about developing physical toughness? And then how much of that is about developing mental toughness? Yeah, it's both, and, and we have to make sure uh, that we don't give in, we don't give out physically before before our minds give out mentally, you know, and we, we've got to, we have to have the physical and mental toughness in this game of football. I mean, this is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. And so, ultimately, we want our training and our practices to be harder than the games. That's our goal. We're not there yet, but that's our goal. And if we can make our training and our practices harder than the games, then we'll have a good football team. Michigan State head football coach Mel Tucker, my guest. And you got a couple of guys, Mel, competing to be your starting quarterback. You've got Peyton Thorne. You've got Anthony Russo. What are the qualities that you're looking for that is going to let you know which is going to be the guy? Well, first, our quarterback has to be our number one competitor on our football team. We need guys that understand the offense, that can lead and can take care of the football and run the show. We're not just going to leave it up to one guy. We're going to play complimentary football, offense, defense, and special teams working together. We need a quarterback that can just do his job. Now, listen, you and I in the past have talked about the importance of neutral thinking and how to use that. How valuable was that to have as a skill and that approach last year when last year was unlike any other year? It was critically important. And neutral thinking is, is basically you know taking the judgment out of it which is very difficult to do, but you have to do it, take the emotion out of it and go to the truth and go to the facts. And based upon what you know to be true and what the facts are, that tells you what you need to do next, which is behavior. And the behavior creates the outcomes. And so staying neutral during the COVID time was was critically important, and it really helped us. We are talking to Mel Tucker. You know, Mel, one of the things you've done since you and I last spoke is you've hit the ground running in that transfer portal what has that process been like for you? And then what has the message been to players about what you're building at Michigan State? Well, it was, it was a rigorous process. Um, you know, we, we, we've uh, really built our personnel department similar to an NFL team where you have uh, the pro side and the college side. So for us, we have the transfers and the JUCO side and the personnel. We also have the guys who, uh, who evaluate and, 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 uh, and monitor uh, the high school ranks. And so we want to build our team through the high school ranks, but we're going to complement and supplement our roster uh, with, uh, with transfers, with positions of need. Um, but they have to be guys that fit what we're looking for here at Michigan State. You know, they have to be uh, true Spartan dogs. They have to want to be here for the right reasons. And those are the guys we brought in. And thus, thus far, they fit in very nicely. I think it's really interesting the way you just laid out how you're building that thing out. Like, you want to change with the times. You want to change with the games. You know, the kids now are different than they were back in the day. Like, you tell this great story about how when you were on the recruiting trail as an assistant with Nick Saban, that you'd go to 15 or 20 high schools, you'd pass out questionnaires and blank tapes. What was that time like, and how much has it changed since then? Yeah, I mean, there was, there was, no, there was, no, uh, there was no internet uh, then there was no GPS. I mean, you were you were basically 
you, you know, you had an idea with a, a few recruiting services where the guys were, um, uh, especially locally. But, you know, you're recruiting nationally. You know, you're basically going to schools and you're looking for players. You, you know, you're going out in spring recruiting and, and going to high schools and asking those players, asking the high school coach, do you have anyone that, that you think can play for us? And you leave a questionnaire and, and, uh, and then you leave a blank tape hoping that they would, with the return envelope, hoping that they would give you a, a highlight tape or a tape and send it back. Uh, and then you would go on to the next school. You know, God forbid you, you found a player, uh, at a high school, especially in your area that had been offered by another school that you competed against, and you felt like you missed a guy. You know, nowadays it's not like that. You know exactly where the players are. You know, there, there's, and, and players are recruiting you now, you know, through, through Twitter and Instagram and DMs and, and sending huddle tapes and highlights. So there's no doubt about where the players are. This is a matter of eva- identifying them, evaluating them, find out who fits in your system. Uh, and then getting offers out to those guys. And then now it's all about marketing and recruiting. And that's the way the game has changed. And then you build it, and they will come if you build the right thing. For instance, although there were challenges last year, you had a couple of wins over top 15 teams, including you beat Michigan in their place. So when you're looking to create and build that culture, how important is it to have moments like that, wins like that to show everybody that if you buy in, it does lead to these kind of results? Um, it, it's, it's, it's very important. I mean, when you, anytime you can beat the school down the road, uh, that's huge because that's the biggest game of the year for us. Uh, there's not a day that goes by um, since I've been here that I haven't heard someone say something about the school down the road and how big that game is. And so, and when, and when you can beat top ten teams, uh, that shows people what's possible. And when we become uh, consciously competent, uh, and we know why we're having success then we can be more consistent okay, and, we, and, and we can win and we can win those, those games on a consistent basis. But uh, the, the infrastructure proceeds, the culture, the infrastructure is here, the culture is shifted, and we're just great, gaining ground every day, and we're recruiting on a high level. Uh, to build a championship-level program. Mel Tucker joining us really quickly. You've mentioned that phrase before. I wanted to ask you about that. Consciously competent. What do you mean by that? It means that when you have success, um, you know why you have success. You know what were the th- what were the behaviors um, that you executed in order to put yourself in a position to have success, whatever it is. And if you understand why you were having success, then you can repeat it. You know when you're unconsciously competent, sometimes you have success. You maybe won a game, or you, you know you have a good a good half or a good quarter, and you don't know why. You, you can't you can't explain it don't really understand it, and you can't repeat it, and that leads to inconsistency. And that's what we saw uh, with our team a year ago. So the goal is to be consciously competent so we can be more consistent in our performance, and that's how we'll be successful. So, Mel, one last thought. I had Mac Brown on in the first hour of today's program, and we talked about the pressure that head coaches are under and the changes with the transfer transfer portal and NIL. And he said that he refuses to give in to that, that he's going to focus on having fun. Like, he's serious, and he's competitive, and he feels like he's a better coach now than he's ever been, but he's not going to be miserable, and he's not going to wake up angry, and he is going to have fun. How have you yourself gone about dealing with all of the pressure and the changing landscape in college football? Well, first, uh, Mike Brown, he's a great coach. He's a legend. And I have a lot of respect for him. Pressure is a privilege. And I, and I believe that, and I, and I embrace that. Uh, all of the, the, the changes, the new landscape, the new world order in college football, you know, I embrace all of that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's how, for me, it's, it's very similar to, you know, the 10 years that I spent in the National Football League, you know, with the draft and free agency. And, you know, and, you know, you got one guy, one guy could be playing center and making, you know, $8 million a year. He's playing next to a um, drafted rookie for agent that, that made the team and is, is on a rookie on a rookie contract, a minimum contract. And uh, But you still, you know, have to build a team. It still starts with the infrastructure. It starts with the culture, okay? And then you build a team and you have to get guys to buy into something that's bigger than themselves. And that's what it's all about. That's where the rubber meets the road. 
So, Mel, when you think about your time in the NFL, I mean, obviously it's it's a different deal, and now you've got a program, and now you are a mentor and a leader, and you've got a way to build something, but you obviously took so much from that time in the NFL, I would imagine. When you think back on your years in the NFL, what kind of memories do you have? What do you miss the most? Okay, well, we had a lot of, a lot of good time there. You know, you, you get a chance to work with uh, some great players and compete, you know, at the at the very highest level. And really, you know, coaching against some of the great coaches in the game, and uh, as a defensive coordinator, coaching against some of the great uh, offensive players, great quarterbacks in the game. You know, game planning for Tom Brady or you know Peyton Manning, you know uh, Drew Brees, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Brett Favre, you know guys like that. I mean, it's just uh, you know those are those are uh, you know great opportunities. You know to com- to compete at the highest level, um, and it's something that uh, is an experience that has served me well. I got to ask you, Mel, finally, you, you just mentioned some of the best of the best, arguably the GOAT or the near GOATs. If you had to pick one of those guys you just mentioned, who was the most difficult guy to game plan for? Who was the one guy that may have kept you up a little bit later than the others? I'll tell you what, all those guys I mentioned, you don't get a lot of sleep when you're game planning uh, for those guys. You know, especially if, if like, you playing against Peyton Manning and he's in your division, you see him twice a year. But, you know, all those guys were, were outstanding. Um, you know, and, and they had and they had good, they had good players around them. They had command they had command of the offense, and uh, you couldn't make mistakes against those guys. I know, uh, you know, playing against Peyton Manning, you know, he could tell by the way you were standing, you know, what, what if if your toe was turned out too much to the left or the right, you knew where you were going. I mean, those guys are the best of the best. Mel Tucker, the head football coach of Michigan State in his second season. He won a couple of national titles as an assistant, coached in the NFL, and they open up against Northwestern on September 3rd. Mel, you sound great. Great to have you back. Good luck. And I know you and I will do it again soon. Appreciate that very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Romy. Have a great one. We go there right now. Good morning, Kathleen. How are you? So I take it upon myself to do the 75 song for you. Oh, okay. Well, it's like I have it right here in front of me, but do you really want all 75 on air? No, I definitely don't want that. Why don't you just send it to me? Well, I don't have Internet. Has Internet not found its way to Omaha, Nebraska yet? It's here, but I I just don't have it. Hmm. Okay, but it is there, right? Like you guys have indoor plumbing, correct? Yeah. Running water? Yeah. Sliced bread? Yeah. Okay, you just don't have internet. So no, why I don't. don't okay, listen, I, I appreciate you doing that and because if your seventy five songs are good, then you took that off my plate. Why don't you do what everybody does and just go to the local coffee house and poach their Wi Fi? Or I would can go to the public library. Okay. Okay, that's not a bad idea. All right, so why don't you do that? Hey, give me an idea, Kathleen. Like give me a few of the songs so I know what's on the list to make sure we're on the same page. Okay, the first one, Torn Apart, Avatar, Knives, Bullet from My Valentine, The Bleeding, Five Finger Death Punch, Alone I Break, Corn, The Heretic Anthem, Slipknot, Year Zero, Ghost, I Will Be Heard, Hate Breed, Evisceration Plague, Cannibal Corpse, Roots, Roots, Bloody Roots, Supplatora, Rise of the Undead, Vader. Okay, so a couple of thoughts, Kathleen. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right. First of all, I said, please don't do all 75. You asked me the question, would you like all 75? And I said, no. And then when I said, just give me a few, I think you gave me like 50. My second reaction to that, Kathleen, and no offense, I'm not surprised, but that's a very violent list. That's an extremely aggressive list. Good night, 